Hello, I'm Peter Gilmore, and you're listening to the Crest of the Wave podcast from RYA Northern Ireland. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Matt McGovern. Today, Matt makes his living as the coach of the Irish 49er squad, who recently qualified the nation for Paris 2024. But on top of that, Matt is one of Northern Ireland's most decorated sailors, having competed at both the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. It's safe to say that he's come a long way from his humble beginnings at Hollywood Yacht Club. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Matt McGovern, as we live and breathe. How are, how are things, Matt? Good, good. Just living the dream one day at a time still, you know. Kicking off 2024 with a bang. Um, uh, yeah, heading off to Lanzarote in a couple of days. So uh, back into it, just uh, back into the prep for the for the games now, really. Yeah, so you're now the Irish 49er coach. Um, what does that look like day to day? Very different some days from the others. But um, yeah, essentially, I've been doing it a couple of seasons now. And uh, actually more, I suppose. I did it for Tokyo 2021 Olympics. Um and back then, our top team, as it were, Rob and Sean, they were just young guys, uh, kind of new to the whole thing. And Ryan Seaton was still racing hard with his teammate, Schaefer Guilfoyle. And I kind of got involved thanks to Ryan. You know, he was pushing and pushing to get me back and to get, you know, sort of help the program that way from a coaching point. So I ended up back with those guys and COVID hit and the world changed and all of that stuff. And during the period, Rob and Sean just... Uh, put in the hours and, and we kind of became a wee group working out of Dublin for a while during COVID and, and did as much as they could and before you know it they kind of mm. shot to success and came from nowhere and started getting some great results and uh, went to the games they were actually I was just reflecting a, on a different call there you know their first ever Olympic experience was winning the first race of the games to only have it abandoned at the finish line <laughs> to then go and win the next race and then overnight leaders of the Olympics um, and winning races and wearing the yellow leaders bibs and stuff so they uh, they had a hell of a first cycle and I'm yeah, just really looking forward to this year to kind of improving on that with them yeah not not a bad start for them for you presumably we'll, 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 we'll perhaps start with, with your coaching um, which, which is what you're doing now we'll We'll reflect later on in the podcast about your experiences as an athlete, but you as a coach now, it must have been incredibly rewarding to see them qualify for Paris 2024, that's uh, Sean and Rob. Yeah, and actually from a technical point, although the, they have qualified the nation, there is still a national trials with the other teams on, Yeah. Uh, so technically they haven't actually qualified yet but the country has so provided they're um, the top Irish 49er yeah so um, we'll have a trials at Rob the world Dixon championships will go, but it could be another Irish 49er yeah yeah um so we'll have a couple of trials coming up this season as well um and what was my yeah was I happy to see them qualify as yeah. <laughs> seems like an obvious question uh, but yeah, yeah it does uh, it's funny it's one of those ones that qualifying is just a stepping stone and I think that's how it's always I've always mm. thought about it you know it's a part of the process it's a pretty important one because if you don't qualify you're not going but it's not really job done it's not like you can down tools and enjoy mm. it too much in fact the guys after they did that the next week we were back out there training again um, in Portugal that was actually before Christmas uh, because they just know that the job's only half done you know and qualifying's a nice thing but it's just nowhere near the end goal for us 
But it's an immensely difficult thing to do, and especially in a boat like the 49er. I mean, prior to Robin Sean qualifying the nation, it had actually been just yourself and and Ryan, which had done it in the in the 49er, because with skiffs there there hadn't really been a, a history of of skiff sailing within Northern Ireland prior to yourself and Ryan, so it each time it does happen it, it is it does kind of feel like a bit of a, a watershed moment and a bit of a milestone is that fair yeah, yeah to for say? sure totally um and you know in some ways i wonder is that what makes it so hard as well because it's people's dreams or it's thought about or it's such a rarity to even qualify um and i suppose i came up during the the Annalise days when we were all friends but she was breaking the boundaries and going even beyond that and meddling and stuff mm. you know and that shows you what's possible as well but um, yeah, definitely, you're right. You know, it's it's an I would say more than exciting. It's more a relief. You know, yeah. The pressure is off a little once you do that. That has to happen, and probably the the honest feeling of it all is, you know, as soon as you nail that qualification, you've got the the ticket. It's actually a breath of relief rather than excitement, maybe or joy, because now you can move on to the mm. real goal in hand and you're not going to fall at the first hurdle you're actually going to get the chance to put your best foot forward and go to the games um, because I'd be interested to actually know sort of your your coaching philosophies because I've been lucky to be coached by a lot of really good coaches and some when they're coaching me give me loads and loads of information when I'm out in the water and they say you know the breeze is going right and you know we've got tide coming up here and they, they can almost sort of dictate my game plan when I'm when I'm out there with me and some just say you know, Pete, I, I trust you, you've done the training, just go and, and be you and and the kind of the shackles are off for me to go and dictate my, my own game plan. And there, there's no sort of hard fast rules when it comes to coaching. You've so far been pretty successful as a coach. Sounds like maybe I should get some of your coaches and get some of the ideas off them. Well, stop I, just winging it. Besides, I, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what 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 the answer is to coaching, coaching, and and maybe there isn't one. But I'm just interested to know maybe what, of course, what your philosophy. I know all the secret answers. I get, no. Um I mean, the truth is, it does depend who you're working with and where they're at. And for example, uh, we would a lot of people use good buzzwords, wouldn't they? Things that sound good or that you learn in coaching seminars and you know, all this here, kind of like the self-learner and, um, you know, trying to get people to work for themselves and all this kind of stuff. But one of the biggest things I would do, especially at the level I'm working at, you know, it's it's actually in some respects really nice with guys who have got a really high level, like all the sailors I'm, I'm with these days, you know, and they're able to win worlds, win events, win majors, that you just don't overcoach because they've got a, a brilliant understanding of the game already. And if you try to tell them every little thing if you say like, I want you to start at this part of the line I want you to go for two minutes and tack and go this way and then work in at the top this way and give them so much detail all you're really doing there is you're breaking their flow and you're crowding their, crowding their mindset you know and, and you're just actually ruining what is their own greatness you know their own genius to it so with people like them and the Robs and Sean's for example as we've talked about there you know they know what they need to do a lot of the time and all I'm doing is trying to hit them you know the right little cues the right little moments and sometimes less is more you won't get that from this interview with me mm. this will be more words the better but no, <laughs> I would uh, it's you know, usually getting you to show up that's exactly. the problem <laughs> my goal my goal on the coach boat a lot of the time is you know I'll be sitting there I'll see how I want to sail the track you know and how I want to race the competitors but if I try to download that information in five minutes between races 
and try and make them sail the way I want them to sail, that is just too much. You know, it'll cause brain fog and there'll just be no performance at the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you literally have interfered with what otherwise would have been good. So no, for me, it's much more let them do their bit and I'll support them. If there's glaringly obvious things or if there's, you know, maybe one or two key elements that they must not drop the ball on, I'll, I'll reinforce those right before they go. And that's it, you know. Um, then when you bring yourself more to say you know some good club sailors or youth sailors who are trying to learn a lot then it's a bit different isn't it you know you need to make sure that actually they have the right information to make the right decisions and and you have to work at a very different um, level at that stage you know I couldn't take someone who's not got thousands of hours worth of experience and expect them to go out and just naturally have good flow and perform in a 49er you know I'd need to actually give them proper help and a coaching and advice through the way so it is kind of horses for courses you know I think everyone's different um, and, and even each athletes are different you know even within our 49er squad you know there'd be times where some of the guys want an actual kick you know they want me to grab them and shake them and shout at them and G them up you know and other guys are like whoa my my levels are so high I need you to bring me back down my anxiety's high calm me down tell me it's going to be all right so you need to even know your athlete in there as well it, it, it varies probably time on time you're not just a technical coach but you're in some ways kind of a psychologist you, you probably rock up to the boat park in the morning and and kind of have to assess what what the guys kind of need the the Olympic trials themselves went went down to the wire in, in Villamora. Can you maybe just briefly take us into the rib in those moments and, and sort of maybe what, what key messages you're telling the guys? Um, yeah, I mean, there for us, well, there's a couple of different things. And I suppose one of the big things, that, that particular scenario that you lay out, we were so close on points. Uh, we really needed a top five, top ten in the Europeans to make sure we secured it. And then the Italians were performing out of their socks as well and were right in our heels the whole way. But, you know, you can look backwards and you can say, oh, we only have a two-point lead. You know, oh, if we do bad in this race, we only have a two-point lead. Or you can look positive and look forward. And that's what we would always try and reinforce. You know, we say, guys, you're winning this trial. You know, we're day five of this regatta and you're winning this trial purely because you've been better all the time, every time, you know, and and actually you got a two-point lead now, maybe you'll have a 10-point lead at the end of the day, you know, and it's just that trying to look forward, don't look backwards, don't look down the rankings and see who's coming for you, but actually, completely honestly, when we were going into that final medal race, we were still on for winning the, the actual regatta, winning the medal race, you know, could have won you the Europeans, so it wasn't we had a game plan to secure ourselves over the Italian but if that came off and it was all looking well you're still going to win the regatta here you know win a Europeans um, and those titles don't come around too easily as well so you do have to you have to look forward all the time I think once you start looking at the the, the line that you're trying to cross and oh I can't be worse than this you end up one place below it so often you know so yeah. I guess positive mindset um one thing I would say to anyone in that situation, you know, every time we've come up, and even myself as a sailor or as a coach, you know, when you're looking at Olympic qualifying or you're trying to close out a major regatta, you got to be honest. You got to say this is stressful for everyone. You know, we're all smiles and we're all pretending we're good, and the cameras come over in the middle of the pre-start and they want to do an interview, and you you talk like we're talking. You're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Yeah, we're just going to go out and smash it today. We're going to win the race, you know, whatever. But deep down inside, there's there's nerves there, and that's just normal. Um, and you have to say listen you may well be nervous but these guys behind you they must beat you to and, go to the Olympics so and they're ner- even more nervous yeah nerves just simply show that you care 
Um, but all of that you're, you're talking about there probably comes from experience and experience you've had as, as an athlete, which, which links on really to, to what I wanted to talk about. What, what would a day look like when you, know, when you were, were training for the Olympics? Because you, you spent the best part of, of really two decades being a top-end sailor and represented Ireland at two Olympic Games. So, yeah, what, what did that look like? Um, yeah, I mean, we sort of had it broken down our days into home days and away days. Uh, and home days, well, we're sitting here, you and I, in the Ballyhum Yacht Club looking out over the nice sea and the beach there. And this is where we would it's have spent... gorgeous. Yeah, this would have been a lot of our home days. And obviously, I campaigned for a bit of time with your brother and he would have known it. Uh, we'd have been in... We were really lucky with our setup. We'd have been in the Aurora Gym. Um, we could do an early morning there, get our gym and our physio all ticked off and be finished and down here after everything done on breakfast by nine o'clock and then do a session on the water come in normally have our lunch do a debrief and review the debrief is that everyone forgets you know the planning of, is what's actually different you know you got to plan you got to brief and debrief every session and then you know we do a double of that and then be home by you know not too late normally six or seven by the time you've done a bit of boat work and prep your brother was obviously exceptional at doing the work as well so <laughs> sometimes it would go on and Your on and on smoothie, Matt. <laughs> yeah, we used to really uh, none of us ever wanted to be the first to leave you know so we wanted to be the first to arrive and the first to leave and days got a bit ridiculously long um but yeah that was a normal kind of home day where you you're literally just putting in the hours in yourself and getting the basics ticked off and the boat handling and all the equipment and everything and then you'd your way days where you'd go away and you'd actually be in a venue and then you're probably not working as hard but you're much more specific and you're much more tailored in what you're working on and if you went to uh, I don't know say like a Palma or somewhere like that there because it's the first event of the season you know you're there in advance and you're maybe working on different elements like your boat speed against your training partners and then you've got your uh, your coursework, you know, working out like how is the best to perform in this environment on this racetrack. And those days would be a little bit easier because you're so much more focused on the mental side and how you're actually going to perform. So you're probably actually not burning yourself out and working just as hard. You're probably doing more like what would equate to, I don't know, like a nine to five or a nine to seven kind of job rather than the days where you'd be down here at home where you're just busting yourself to get through the work you know and I always looked at it like the UCM Bolt theory when he got to the start line of every and this is how old I am because he was winning everything mm -hmm. but when he got to the start line and I actually was remember watching his uh, his qualifying at one of the um, pre-races for the Olympics in 2012 and he was so relaxed and you're thinking is that real or not but the fact was he knew the work was done he knew what time he could run and barred in a false start he knew that his time was better than everyone else's and he was guaranteed a gold medal and that's how I was trying to turn sailing around for me that actually the work is done in a chunk of time in advance and you know what performance exists within your capabilities and what boat speed you have and how good your starting is and your race strategy you've got it all locked in and essentially when you turn up to that major event you're just going to unleash what you've already got and you might be the best in the world or you might be fifth you know and, and that's just who you are and now we have a lot of variables in our sport so sometimes you might be the fifth best but you still win the regatta at the end mm. and that's just things going your way but yeah the Usain Bolt theory he knew he knew where he was going to finish at every regatta, every race he went to virtually because he knew what time he could hit because the work was done at home um, and that's a bit of yeah. what I would think about it. it it's funny you talk a, a lot about the, the physical training aspect of it and, and actually when you started setting with my brother um, I can distinctly remember when you started doing that because it was sort of my first main impression of you I'd, I'd sort of seen you as a di um, 
from the the distance because I was I was a young teenager at the time. I think I was I was sixteen when you started sailing with my brother, and I distinctly remember it because you came into the house, and my first impression was just, "Oh my word, this man is absolutely jacked." <laughs> how, how times and, have changed, eh? <laughs> and you came in, and my mum was like, "Pat, would you like a cup of tea?" And uh, you, you're dead polite. You're like, "Yeah, that that'll be lovely." And I can just distinctly remember you just setting your forearms on the table and just thinking, I need to go to the gym right now. <laughs> That's actually why I wear but, a lot of long sleeve jumpers these days. The forearms just aren't what they used to be. <laughs> but it, it does go back to what you were saying about sort of doing that preparation. And it kind of links in one of one of the um, key strategy goals in, in our strategy with ROI Northern Ireland navigating the future is, is maximizing athlete potential. Is it really just a, a case of, of putting in the hours and, and enjoying it along the way? Would would, would that be the, the key thing? I mean, well, we sort of said earlier, everyone's a bit different in their approach for things. Personally, I think putting in the hours is good, but you know, one person that we spent a lot of time with coming up was Nathan Otteridge, who ended up winning multiple medals, and he's now you know sailing curry legend. And he would sometimes do slightly different than me, and people would say, why didn't you copy him? But no, he would have done more of the smart hours he would have called it you know so he would put in the hours no doubt you know you don't get to where he is without doing it but his were smart hours he wasn't just bimbling for the sake of bimbling or going out in the water and training for the sake of training he would go training when he had his training partners his coach his good equipment everything there everything ready and perfect then he would go and do training and he felt he would make the most value out of his time that way mm. so yes to an extent you got to put the hours in but you also got to do it well and do it smart you know um, you don't really have time in this life to waste hours or waste time and if you're having fun fine maybe you're happy with that but normally you have a goal and if you're trying to do what we've been trying to do you know these things are pretty exceptional and, and big goals in life to be the greatest at something um, so yeah it's not going to come easily it's going to be a lot of work goes goes alongside that and uh, for me I suppose when, just to jump back a bit you said about philosophies you know a lot of people talk about motivating people as well and motivating athletes and I agree with that but I also think there's an element of if I have to chase someone and push them and fight with them to get them to do the work then they're not motivated enough anyway and they're not going to be the person who can do it you know I love to see someone who is willing and, and there's actually a couple of people coming up since I took that role with RYA several years ago I ended up being the high performance manager after uh, Richard Honeyford had moved along and he'd been a brilliant manager to us and there was two or three kids came out of that program when I was doing that and I thought these guys are going to be something else you know they have that self-drive that motivation and that desire to work and sometimes they don't know what they need to do but they they have the attitude you know and that's the important bit um, so to answer your question the longest about way ever yes working it and enjoying it is really important um, and just do it smart at the same time as well the enjoyment thing is a big thing and like anyone will tell you you know you can't go to work every day and enjoy your work you know there's going to be tough times but it's got to be worth it you know if you really really are going to devote your whole life to it then you must have a certain amount of enjoyment as well, along with it as well yes because presumably it's it's quite a, a grueling graft um, along the way just day in day out yeah I mean even now like my lifestyle's changed you know I've got kids and uh, um, a wife and stuff and I've gotten older and I look at the racing itself and I still get back in the boat every chance I get you know when I'm away with the guys 
like I said, we're coming up to Lanzarote. My wets will be in the rib every day. I just long for the moment someone's got a wee niggle in the knee or a sore arm, and I'm like, right, sit up, I'll jump in. I've still got it. I'm not just a desktop <laughs> boy. I, I tell but, you, I'm I'm kind of the same. I was like, I hold the camera sometimes, but I'll still know, get I back in the boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the truth of it is, uh, would I go back campaigning? I mean, I love to pretend and say, yeah, I go back in a flash, and my my like it's in my gut. I still want it. But the truth is the work that those guys put in compared to what I'm doing now, you know, I've, I guess I don't think of myself as old or slowed down, but the fact is I have slowed down in these last handful of years and, you know, become a, a family man who sits in a rib rather than does the graft the guys do. And you just can't do it. You know, you have to, you have to want it so badly to do it. You know, you can pretend you'd like to do it or it's a nice idea to jump back in the boat and go and do a regatta. But if you're not doing the hard graft, you're not going to get anywhere. Well, Matt, it seems like the 49er boys have a, a wise head behind them for Paris 2024. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Yeah.